I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. So today, we are super, super excited to be doing a podcast and interviewing two amazing researchers in our field that um, just published a paper on basically on Zoom fatigue, which I know is a topic everyone's really excited about. So we're going to dive into that in a second. But first, let me introduce these wonderful women that are here with us today. First, we have Dr. Allison Gabriel. She's the McClelland Professor of Management and Organizations and University Distinguished Scholar at the University of Arizona's Eller College of Management. So hi, Allie. I want you to say hi first. (laughs) Hello. Thanks for having me back. This is fun to come on a second time. Yes, we're very excited to have you back. And then we're also excited to have Dr. Kristen Shockley join us. She's the Associate Professor of Psychology at the University of Georgia. So welcome, Kristen. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So today, we really want to spend time talking about your research. But before we do that, why don't we just start off with something more casual? How are you all doing? Everyone feeling good today? (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the pause is impressive. <laughs> Apparently, no one's doing so well. So we have two researchers. No. Doing two better, researchers yeah. Work-life balance, but I know doing better now that I'm talking to all you wonderful women. But yeah, it's know. you know, it, Chris and I are in the same boat. We have littles at home, so it's it's a tough time still to be in the pandemic and working with a 18 month toddler. I think the last time I was on the podcast, I was actually pregnant. So now we're full circle. Now she's 18 months old. And she's still home wow. and we're still home. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's been a while then. Yeah. <laughs> she's a true pandemic baby. She really is. <laughs> and then oh. I yeah, I have a two and a half year old and a four month old. Um, so I am still not sleeping through the night. But <laughs> Wow. I just don't know how both of you do it. You're just so awesome and amazing and like and your associate editors at JP, like this is just you're just like peak people. Um, so we're really lucky to have you here. <laughs> and very tired. <laughs> and speaking of which, uh, we are going to be talking about fatigue today. Um, and so I'm curious to hear more about your recent work. And we profiled this on the blog. Um, and we were just so excited to learn more from you directly about it. But I'm kind of curious. So you're you're both busy people doing a lot of stuff uh, in your personal lives and in your work lives. What sort of inspired you to think about being interested in studying fatigue? Um, and maybe you could talk a little bit about the premise of your study to sort of loop us into how you got to the point that you were interested in studying this. Sure, I can probably start. Um, So, you know, the pandemic hits and I had pre-pandemic been studying remote work. And so obviously this was like the most interesting time ever to be a remote work researcher and had gotten a grant through NSF to study remote work. So my name had sort of gotten out there. And so I got contacted by a couple of different people. um, And one of which was this company called Broadpath. And basically they have technology that supports organizations with a remote workforce. And so they contacted me about doing like an HR daily piece with them. Um, And we did that. And then we kind of started this collaboration and they said, it was actually their idea was to study, we're calling it zoom fatigue for the easy way, but you know, it's really like virtual meeting fatigue because it could be on any platform. Um, So they said, Hey, we really think it would be cool to do a study where we, 
manipulate if people have the camera on or off and we measure fatigue. And I was, you know, I'm like salivating at this point, like a true <laughs> field experiment. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I worked with them to help design the study and then ended up um, bringing Allie on a little bit later because she is just, you know, an incredible statistician and brilliant writer. And so she was, she was super helpful in getting, once we had the data, really getting the study um, publication ready. And, um, you know, ultimately we got our R and R last R and R back, I think like three days after I had a baby. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh and, my gosh. and the timing is funny because I think we started this, or you involved me in this a couple of months after I came back from parental leave yeah. and I had thrown this big fit when I came back, I was like, I'm, you know, cause I had the baby, I had Eleanor March 10th of 2020. And so everybody flipped to, you know, virtual everything, remote everything and started studying these issues. And I came back from leave and I was like, under no circumstance will I study anything to do with the pandemic. Absolutely not. <laughs> and now flash forward, here we are. Because <laughs> I can't say no. Uh, when Kristen contacted me and said, hey, I have this data. What do you think? I was just like, okay, like anything to work with Kristen, but this is also really, really cool. Like we don't get field experiments like this very often, especially one that's so practically important and that people are just living and breathing every single day for the last 18 months or so. I think it's hilarious that you said no to pandemic research at first. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> it was, you know what it is? It was so, I mean, this is not the point of what we're talking about today, but we had her, uh, the pandemic got declared while we were in the hospital with her. And so oh, our no. whole experience of becoming parents was just, under the shadow of the pandemic. And so it's like the last thing I'm going to do is make my research also about this thing that has like thrown our parenthood <laughs> experience upside down. But in some ways oh it's been goodness. kind of like a nice coping mechanism. And we have a couple of projects with my doctoral students. Um, besides this one, I mean, this one I, I love the most out of the ones we have. And it's been kind of a nice like sense-making process of, you know, what has happened and what are people going through and how can we make it better since we're still in these virtual platforms for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And I think that was really the impetus for Broadpath behind it was like we all had this sense that being on Zoom all the time is just not great and people are tired, but like what is it about it? And um, so we kind of see this as the first step, you know, looking at the camera on versus off and and then going from there, which I guess I should talk about what we found. <laughs> you know, we found that, um, <laughs> so to give you more of a design, it was a, a true field experiment. So we manipulated whether people had their camera on for all their meetings for two weeks or their camera off, and then they switched conditions. And so the experiment was a full month. And at the end of every day, and these were all employees of Broadpath, they um, did a quick survey measuring fatigue and then also how much voice they felt they had in meetings that day, as well as um, how engaged they were in meetings. And so we ultimately found when they had the camera on, people reported more fatigue that day. And then that in turn led to feeling less engaged and less voice, which was pretty counterintuitive to what people sort of were talking about. Like, you have to have the camera on. You won't be engaged otherwise. Um, you know, we found no, if it, if it tires you out, then actually the opposite is true. Can you define for people what voice means in this setting? Yeah, just feeling like you could speak up in meetings. Yep, that makes Basically. sense. So in terms of, I mean, your findings, they're 
obviously counterintuitive, like you said, a lot of leaders and organizations um, often come with that approach that we need everyone to have their camera on so we can be engaged. We can see that people are there and paying attention and all of that. What was it about your relationship with this organization to that they felt that might not be true or did they think that was true too and then decided to just test it out? Yeah, I mean, I think that they, they're they really interested in, because they're in this space, right, supporting remote work, like kind of really mm-hmm. understanding the science behind what's happening and having evidence base behind kind of what's going on, which I think is really, really cool to hear a company that, that has that mission. The CEO is really, really committed to having data to make decisions. So I think for them, they want to just try to tease apart, like, is it something about the camera? And then now that we found that, though, it's like thinking more, okay, well, it doesn't seem like the answer is just keep the camera off all the time. Like that doesn't really resonate with anyone. Like there's sometimes when you need the camera on, but maybe there's ways we can make the camera experience better. And so we're, we're working with them. We have an ongoing relationship. We're planning another um, experiment to start in um, like January, February. And we're going to look at, they, they have these um, side facing cameras it's called Beehive, and it's different in the sense that you see everybody at all times. Um, so it's supposed to kind of more emulate the workspace. Like I can look over and see my coworker, and it's the same thing. It's not just the front-facing camera, but it's their whole workspace. So we're going to do some stuff to see if that makes a difference for fatigue and do some stuff with an avatar-based interaction. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm like, I've never heard of this side-facing camera, so that's really very cool. Um and interesting. I'll be so curious to see what you find, as I know you probably both are. But um, yeah. but I'm curious, um, you know, I know that your findings went a little deeper as well than um, just that this equally impacted everyone. Um, do you want to talk about some of the kind of nuances of the findings? And then I'm curious um, whether that was part of what you were interested in to begin with, or was that something of kind of, hey, as we're making sense of the of why a camera might be exhausting for people. What are the sorts of behaviors people are engaging in and who might be more likely to engage? Sure, I can talk about that some. So I, and Kristen, you can correct me, but I remember when we first started looking at this, we were really focused initially on the fatigue effect, right? So is it camera on or off? Is that contributing to fatigue? How is it affecting the meeting outcomes? And what's really cool is that in these analyses, um, the company allowed us to have access to people's Um, email calendars. And so we know the number of meetings they had per day. We know the hours they spent on virtual meetings and we controlled for those in our analyses. And those actually had no effect on fatigue Um, because that's a common thing is we've heard from some people since the story or the research came out saying like, well, is it just sheer number of meetings? And that doesn't seem to be the case. It's something really unique with the camera. And so that was kind of our baseline starting point. And then we started iterating and taking a step back and said, well, are there certain characteristics of people that might make them more kind of reactive or just fatigued from being on camera? Um, And gender and tenure just popped to mind pretty quickly. Uh, So for women, you know, there's all sorts of theory around self-presentation costs for women. You know, women tend to be judged more harshly than their male counterparts um, due to, you know, gender stereotypes and the like. Um, Women also tend to have more like physical appearance, high standards compared to men. And given that this was happening in the pandemic, we know uh, from some of Kristen's research that women just were taking on disproportionate childcare demands, right? So you have all these things kind of working (laughs) against women in some ways um, that could make using the camera more taxing. 
And then for newer employees, like I honestly, like I couldn't fathom being a new employee as this was unfolding because you already have this kind of newcomer uh, status that you're trying to shed, right? You're trying to build relationships with people, but you don't know the jargon, you don't know the cues, you don't have the relationships. And so for newcomers, we also wondered whether they would also find being on camera more fatiguing because they're not only trying to manage their own impressions, but just try to figure out, you know, what else is going on in the meetings. Um, and that's exactly what we ended up finding, that the effects were more pronounced for women and for people who were newer to Broadpath. And I think this all goes back to a broader talking point of how are, what is the purpose of being on camera? How can we use this more effectively? Um, and like Kristen said, I don't think we're saying, and we're definitely not saying that you should get rid of cameras, um, you know, broadcast, not saying get rid of cameras, but can we talk about what it means to be on camera and can we give people some more autonomy to use it in a way that works uh, with them as opposed to against them? It's interesting that you say you would not want to be an employee transitioning right now. And I actually did change jobs in the middle of all this. <laughs> and, Yep, a woman, a yeah. newcomer. So I am <laughs> You're like, tired. A, and I, so I'm tired. Uh, definitely better now. But I will say that from an anecdotal perspective, I was so exhausted at the beginning of my time with my new employer because because of probably all these things. I had camera on constantly, and it was like eight hours a day of meetings at least, and just on camera nonstop, and it was so draining and luckily I have some power on my team that I you know as a leader of the team can kind of help shift some of that so we've some meetings have gone to non-camera focus and we've made those changes and I think it's it's made a big impact for me I think also now I've learned enough about the organization so there's some of those things like you mentioned have started to go away but reducing that camera time has really helped me and my team I think be a little bit more uh relaxed at the end of the day than maybe we were before. So I think uh, just from anecdotal perspective, it makes a lot of sense. And I very much appreciate this research and I'm trying to actually use it to make some changes in how we onboard our employees because a lot of organizations have these big onboarding pro programs where people go through like virtual training in the first week or first couple weeks on the job and they have cameras on that entire time. And that's probably not the best approach based on what you've found in your research. So yeah. I thank you for that because it gives me a tool to continue to push that argument forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, I, I don't know if this is happening to Kristen, but like, this is the first time I've had a study really take off like this. Um, thank you, Adam Grant. And <laughs> what's, but what's been interesting is like, we've gotten like messages through like Twitter and LinkedIn and some emails just from people resonating with different parts of it. Um, and people have said all sorts of things like, yeah, I need the camera off sometimes because I'm just self-conscious about my home space. Like I don't feel comfortable with people coming into my home or it's messy or I feel like I have to, you know, live up to some expectation of what my work space needs to look like. Or, hey, I want to, you know, remember when we used to just talk on the phone? Like I want to take phone calls and like go for walks when we're talking again. So I feel like part of this really gets amplified because when the pandemic hit, I think virtual platforms were great to create social connectivity when there really wasn't any, right? We couldn't see people. 
but then we just kind of kept it <laughs> and we're not accounting for the fact of, okay, should, like, is that what we should be doing all the time? Are there ways we can do this more adaptively? Um, and so what I'm hoping from this research is that maybe managers will start having more of these conversations, right? Just to norm set collectively versus assuming that everybody wants to be on camera at every given hour of the day. Yeah. And I can not to plug another study, but we have an, another paper that just just got accepted at Journal of Applied Psychology. And we actually looked at that that variable that Ali just mentioned, which was, and this was from our grant data. So we got remote workers, people who had just shifted to remote work because of the pandemic. And so we looked at the extent to which the supervisor set clear like standards for remote work, like how you're supposed to communicate. Um, and that was a really protective factor in burnout. I mean, so we mm. interpret that like, if you don't know like what the norms are, it's like more stressful, right? But if if the manager says, okay, here's what we're expecting. Here's, you know, this should be an email. This should be a meeting. Here's when you can have camera on, whatever. Um, it's just a lot easier for everybody when you have that common understanding. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And um, it's reminding me of some conversations that Patricia and I have had on the podcast before. And Ali, you just mentioned, uh, you know, having like a walking desk or taking walking meetings. And so I, um, during, during the pandemic, I, I don't know, like, I feel like I was, I'm like such an optimistic person. I feel like I just kept being like, it's going to be over soon. (laughs) And so like, I never, (laughs) I like never bought like appropriate equipment to work from. Like, like my husband, you're my people. I did the same thing. I was like, I refuse to buy this. This is why I'm talking to y'all with like janky earbuds that I dug out of a bin. Like I just refused. So I was like, this cannot continue. Yeah. And and that's how I felt too. And like, yeah, so my husband's worked remotely forever, just a hundred percent remote forever. So he had his whole, we moved during COVID. So he had his whole setup, like office furniture, office chair, whatever, everything set up. And then it was like, the, you know, we're, we moved like right at the beginning, like a month in. So we're like, okay, we're, you know, getting adjusted to this, but I'm not going to like buy office furniture for me or set stuff up. So I ended up sitting on like a chair, like a regular, like plushy, like chair in the living room with my laptop in my lap, just like working that way for a long time. And then it started killing my back. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this is a problem. (laughs) I can't keep sitting like this. Maybe I need to like um, get like a treadmill desk so that I can like fold it up and put it away when like this is all done. But then I at least have like a treadmill. We didn't have a treadmill anyway. So I was like, all right, that's what I'll do. But I got it. And then I felt like so many people were like responding to it oddly. Like and I wasn't I wasn't on it like in, in like in super important meetings. But it was like people would be like, oh, like are you walking? But like, it's not like I was like full body on the thing. It was just like my shoulders and my head, but like, you can tell I'm walking, but it wasn't like I was like walking very fast or whatever. And I started like slowly, like using it less and less because of people's reaction to it. Like, oh, like, what's that? Oh, like you're walking. And it made me feel like, oh, maybe this isn't professional behavior. Like I, and again, I wasn't doing it in any like super important things, but it was like just random, like collaborators or whatever, where I would think like, oh, this will be fine. And then I started feeling weird about it. So your point to like the norms, like if I was working in a traditional organization and like my manager was always on a, on a treadmill during our meetings, I would feel so much more comfortable, but it was like, I didn't have like any 
I'm not operating under any like clear structure, right? Mm-hmm. As as none of us really are. So I just slowly like started to make those decisions myself about like I can only do this with people I'm super comfortable with. But then I was like still like feeling like terrible, you know, my back was still hurting, whatever. So I think that makes sense that that would be a big part of it because I experienced that a little bit myself. Yeah. yeah, and I heard some discussion about. Like we have this natural propensity to pace while we're on the phone, which I thought that was just me, but apparently like a lot of people do that. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting because you can't really do that on Zoom. I mean, I guess if you have the treadmill, you kind of can, um, mm-hmm. but it's not, I don't know if it's the exact same. Um, and I've had some people do it while on Zoom and it's like, whoa, okay, you're like making me nauseous, right? Yeah. <laughs> or the people that drive in their car on Zoom, those are my yes. favorite people where I'm like, but yeah. where are you going? Like, where where are we going today? <laughs> uh, yeah. But if the norm was to just not have the camera on every single meeting, then you can pick which meetings you're walking in, right? Exactly. Um, it does make a big difference. And setting those expectations. That is really interesting, Kristen, about the the new research that's coming out. So we're excited to feature that when it's out and ready. <laughs> so what recommendations do you have? So for companies who are looking at this research, you know, I'm sure I. it sounds like you got a lot of like, oh, thank you for doing this. I've been so tired. I'm sure you probably got some other folks that were like, no, cameras, amazing. Like, so what, what do you think people should do if they're in organizations and they're feeling these fatiguing effects? Um, or if they are managers and they want to make a change, like what would be your like couple recommendations for people to use these findings? Um, I can start and then Allie can chime in. I'm sure you have some additional ideas from what I'll have, but I think what Ali said earlier is kind of the big point, at least for us is the autonomy piece. It's like, just do not, you should not have a mandate that cameras have to be on all the time. Um, It's really giving people autonomy in when they want to have their camera on and having discussions about camera off doesn't mean people are disengaged. Um, Because I think right now, sometimes people have, you know, if you have back to back to back meetings, you know, you're on meeting five, you're like, I would really just like to have my camera off so I could eat my lunch without feeling weird in front of people. Um, But I don't want them to assume that I'm not paying attention. And so to me, it goes back to like giving people the choice, but also this piece about the norms that we're talking about, um, making it clear that the assumption isn't if your camera's off, that you're not paying attention. It's like kind of trusting your employees to do what they need to do for their own well-being. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, we're, we're still craving normalcy. And so I think being on meetings and seeing people on camera might make you feel good because you can see what other people are doing, but it's just not healthy or realistic that people can sustain that forever. Right. And so I think it all comes down to these conversations, these norms of why are we on camera? Why are we doing this? And can we facilitate engagement and voice in other ways? You know, there's chat features and all sorts of other features of virtual meetings that can still promote engagement um, and make people even more engaged, in my opinion. The one caveat to this um, is that I do think we need to think about, you know, approaching camera use from like a very inclusive perspective. So some people have reached out to us saying, hey, totally agree being on camera all day is exhausting, but what about people who might have, you know, hearing disabilities or need accommodations and they need the video to help uh, interpret you know, what's being said more accurately. So I think there's a lot of nuance to this. And 
you're totally right. We did get some reaction of people being like, no, like, how could you say cameras off forever? And I'm like, that's, that's not what we said. We just said that <laughs> they're fatiguing. And of course there's going to be this nuance and these other considerations for why we may or may want not want to use them. I do hope though, you know, and again, we didn't study this, but particularly for, you know, the work that both Chris and I have been doing around, you know, work, non-work issues, and especially for mothers, I do hope there's more acceptance and, you know, appreciation of work and family being just so blended still for so many people. Like we're not out of this yet. We still have Eleanor home full time with us. And so she's pretty much popping into my meetings every single day. And I feel really lucky that I'm meeting with people who are completely comfortable with that and they're okay, but I'm sure that's not the case for everybody. So if we're going to keep using cameras, I just hope we're kind of more accepting of people holistically and don't expect these pristine normal times because these still aren't normal times for many people. That's a great point. I mean, I just not as um, time intensive as children, but I just got two kittens and they have popped into quite a few meetings. They're really cute. (laughs) Thank you. They are really fun. But I'm like in a call with our CEO and a kitten just climbs up my back and I'm like, well, there's a kitten (laughs) just in case you're wondering. Um, Nobody can get mad at a kitten. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I hope not. No one has yet, but maybe someone is judging me. I don't know. Um, But to your point, like I do think we need to really be cognizant of that keep that in mind both during the pandemic when we have a lot of additional things that are kind of pressing on people but even after and if people are still working remotely there's going to be other things happening in the house regardless of whether or not kids are in daycare finally or what have you Um, so I think we just need to be very open about that I do have one more question for the two of you. So we talked a little bit around setting norms and things that really are more leadership focused as to what we can do. Have you thought at all about like what an employee can do to help themselves in this situation? I know there's often a lack of power sometimes. So is there anything that they can do? That's a really good question. Yeah. Cause I, well, cause I, I do think a lot of these normative behaviors, right. It's, it's really, I know this has happened to me. It happened to me like very, early on into all of this before we were doing this research where I would hop onto a Zoom call and I would have the baby with me when she was like a baby baby and I would have my camera off and then I would look around and just see everybody else on camera and be like, well, shoot, Uh, (laughs) like everybody's on camera. So I don't really have a choice right now, even though I'm super, super uncomfortable. Um, One thing I did do, and maybe I don't want to say that my N of one extrapolates to everybody, but it might be a step is particularly for people who feel like being on camera is really taxing and maybe it's for a family related issue or something about your work home dynamic is I really sought out um, an ally within the department. Uh, So there were a couple people I could reach out to, to be like, Hey, I can't really be on camera right now. Um, This is what's going on. You know, I've got the baby with me. I don't really feel comfortable. And then my one friend would like turn their camera off in solidarity some other like and so I think like finding an ally somebody you can talk to about these concerns even if it's not the direct manager is really really helpful um especially for newer employees who are still kind of learning the ropes of of what it is they're going to be doing maybe there's somebody that you can reach out to and talk to saying hey I don't know if I can particularly voice this but can you voice this or would you feel comfortable maybe backing me up on this particular issue um so that's something that I did that I found really, really helpful. Um, and now even in meetings where there is no leader, 
uh, a formal leader, I'm pretty vocal at the start of the meeting of like, hey, everybody do what you have to do because I can't promise that X, Y, Z isn't going to happen <laughs> in the next you know, 30 minutes. So I think just talking about it, honestly, is helpful, uh, manager or not, just talking about being on camera and why that's stressful or not stressful. But Chris, I don't know if you have any other thoughts. Yeah, I love that idea. And the only other thing I would add is, you know, there is some onus on you when you do have your camera off to make sure you are actually paying attention, <laughs> you know, because if you have your camera off in meetings and then it's clear that you are not engaged, you're, you know, you're not responding or, or whatnot, then, then people are going to assume when your camera's off, that's the case. So I think if we want more acceptance of the camera being off, we do have to make sure that we're actually engaged in the meeting. I mean, I know. For me, I've had sometimes my camera's off and I'm engaged, but sometimes, you know, it's obviously it's a lot easier to multitask when the camera's off. Maybe we should also yeah. just have fewer meetings. Yeah, Can we, we talk about that? Can that be a yeah. thing of how we still have virtual meetings for <laughs> literally everything? Yeah. Can we get Steve Rogoberg back on here to give us some meetings advice? Um, but yeah, I, I, I love these tips and I think that this research is so awesome and obviously so well-timed and... We're really grateful that you came to um, spend time with us today and talk more about it. And we know it's going to be super useful to our listeners who uh, are probably experiencing a lot of this and have been experiencing a lot of this and are looking for tools. Um, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know as we're closing out the episode here um, about where to find your work or anything else that you have upcoming? We're bad at this. I'm like... <laughs> Google my name and UGA. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Find us on the Twitter. Yeah. We're there. Um, no, if anybody like has, as Kristen mentioned, we're still, even though I said I do not want to do pandemic related research, <laughs> Kristen has now sucked me into this life and we're still doing pandemic related <laughs> research. So um, if anybody is listening to this and you have personal experiences that Kind of resonate or even deviate from what we're talking about, we would love to hear from you via email because we're still studying this. And I, you know, regardless of when COVID winds down, I think virtual meetings or hybrid meetings are going to be here to stay for a while. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's just this research space is so new and rarely do you have that, you know, because like when do you have something that kind of comes out of nowhere, which I feel like is what happened with Zoom fatigue. And so there's just so much exciting opportunity, um, just a lot to be done. So we will definitely link to your contact information, your Twitter accounts, and all that good stuff so people can find you. And I have one final fun question. We'll see if you think it's fun, but <laughs> fun question. Um, we're talking about Zoom meetings or video meetings. Where's the weirdest place that you've been in a Zoom call? Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> Anyone have anything interesting? <laughs> I feel like you picked the two most boring. Like we literally have not left the house for eighteen months because of our kid. I was like, maybe I've zoomed from like I've definitely zoomed from. Oh, I do have an answer. I have zoomed from um, the ball pit in Eleanor's playroom. <laughs> <laughs> I have done the same, actually. My son has done the same too. Um, I have zoomed several times while breastfeeding. Yeah. <laughs> coming, coming to you live from the ball pit. Uh, <laughs> it's 
very <laughs> yeah I, I had a meeting and I Mike could not take her because um, we just like hot potato her back and forth and she went me in her playroom and she was like mommy ball pit and I was like I guess this is where I live now and so I had to <laughs> zoom in from the ball pit <laughs> and Kristen, we only had that ball pit because you had sent me a picture when your oldest was like Eleanor's age being like, ball pits are great. <laughs> <laughs> There's no turning back once you go ball pit. I know. They're so messy. <laughs> but they're well, so hey. good for Zoom calls. So good for Zoom <laughs> calls. Super aesthetically pleasing. And Absorb the sound. Yeah. Great, great. <laughs> Acoustics in the Speaking ball of back pain, though, Katina, like not great for your back, as you would imagine. Like, yeah. You just sit on a pile of balls. <laughs> I would imagine that that would not be comfy. <laughs> this is really high quality, though. Thank you for inviting us. You, you all have to edit this a lot. <laughs> nope. Well, I love the ball pits as a place to do a Zoom meeting. So I think that ended much better than I expected. I thought there was going to be some maybe more boring answer. I don't think that's very boring. I think ball pits are pretty interesting. <laughs> But thank you both so much for being here. Um, I guess maybe Katina and I, should we answer that question? Because I... Yeah, I feel like that's only fair. Like, we... Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Just realized I was being very rude. Um, (laughs) How dare you? Well, you came up with the question where you must have had something in mind. Not really, honestly. I just thought it was a fun question. (laughs) You asked a question with no plan. No plan. Bad move. Uh, (laughs) No, I... I mean, I've done some zoom calls for when i've been like traveling during the pandemic so like in different airbnbs and places and so one we did in this really cute little um in on the bay in morrow bay and i did a call there video on and all that fun stuff um but it's just like the cutest hotel room on the planet so Mm. it's really not that interesting it was (laughs) fabulous as someone as someone who's been in the same house every single day for 18 months i find that very interesting i'm like tell me more like what was the thread count of the sheets what was the everything it was very modern decor it was very very pretty That's better than mine. I I took mine recently. We went for a week in the Finger Lakes and like, I'm just like, I have to be better. And this is like a work anti-worker being habit that I have. But like, like if people are like, oh, we'll have a call at like noon. And like if I'm on vacation or something and like I could do a call at noon, I'm like, okay, yeah, like it's my only call that day. And then maybe I'll be like, and I could probably do one at three or whatever. And then like, so I, (laughs) but then like I'll be doing activities that like we're doing for vacation and then like I'm like the annoying person that's like at noon I have to go sit in the car mm-hmm. and take this call while everybody's doing whatever. So um, so and I'm sure like all of us have done this because I feel like we're all similar in this. But um, but I, everyone was in a winery and I was in the car taking this call on Zoom. But it was so hot. It was like boilingly hot in the car because it was like 90 something <laughs> degrees and so like I started off with my camera on and I was like I'm in the car blah blah and like as I was talking I was just getting like disgusting sweating like I couldn't breathe because like my husband had the keys in the house in the um, winery and I was like oh my god so anyway I like turned it off and I was like just like sitting on the seat like I felt like I was in like some sort of like movie like cartoon or something like 
There was like sand around. I don't know, but it was just like so bad. So anyway, I, everybody came out and they were like, are you okay? And I was like, uh, I don't know. I think I'm not, but let, let's You're like, I'm just zooming. I yeah. was zooming really hard, guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give me some wine. Basically in a sauna. <laughs> yes. I was like, the next winery is going to be my favorite place I've ever been. But um, so yeah, that was my most recent weird Zoom, I would say. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's very anti-worker being, Katina. Yeah, I was like Tis-tis. baking myself in a vehicle. But regardless, <laughs> um, <laughs> the things we do for Zoom. But um, uh, but yeah, well, thank you so much for being here. This has been awesome. We really, really appreciate you and your work. And we're really excited to hear more about what you have upcoming. Um, so just thank you so much. This has been so fun. Thank yeah. you, guys. Yeah, thank you for having us. And thank you for all of the amazing work you guys are doing to try to shatter really horrific norms about how we all work way too much. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's got to start doing it. Yes. <laughs> totally. We're doing our best. Thank you again so much for, for being here. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much to Dr. Allison Gabriel and Dr. Kristen Shockley for joining us today on our podcast episode. It's been so fun having them. They have such great insights and they're doing fantastic research that we will continue to highlight. I know we've already highlighted some of their work before, um, so I'm very pleased that they were able to join us and talk through everything today. Uh, Their contact information is in the show notes, so feel free to go in there and reach out to them as they mentioned. And we'll also link to the awesome organization Broadpath that worked with um, Allie and Kristen on creating this amazing study that hopefully you all can learn from and leverage. And as always, if you want to reach out to us and chat with us, you can always find us on our website, workerbeing.com. You can email us at contact at workerbeing.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at WorkerBeing. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.